Excuse me. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at uh, the first Daria movie, Is It Fall Yet?, in which fresh off of the pain and drama of the season four finale, Daria is forced to juggle her failed friendship with Jane her new relationship with Tom, and the summer job she reluctantly takes on at Helen and Jake's insistence. Well, more like Helen, but you know. Yeah, mostly mostly Helen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Quinn gets a summer tutor, Jane goes to art camp, and the B-plot gang gets into their own summer hijinks. It's a busy show. The movie aired on August 27th, 2000, and was co-written by Glenn Eichler and Peggy Nichol. Eichler's episodes are, for the most part, disproportionately scattered across the top of our list, while Nichols are kind of all over the place. Most recently, <laughs> though, she gave us fire, exclamation point, and murder, she snored, which are ranked 7th and 16th, respectively. So, yeah, we, there it goes. We've, right. We've been uh, pretty impressed with Peggy Nichol of late. You know, yeah. And, and she got off to kind of a rough start. Uh, as, oh, yes. as many of the writers did, really. Um, Who's this Daria chick? <laughs> <laughs> what, what should these characters say or do or think? Maybe let's throw a bunch of things at the wall. See what slides off. Uh, uh, all right. So good news, folks. If if you're a fan of Beat by Beat, boy, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> do we have a lot of it for you here? Uh, so I think we're just going to go ahead and get rolling into that. Okay, so just a reminder that because this is a movie and at 72 minutes long is more than three times the length of a normal episode. Yeah, uh, we will just be covering roughly the first half this week. Um, it'll actually be a little bit more than half because there's a pretty natural stopping point about 41 minutes in. So we will be covering the second half, which is to say the remaining 31 minutes, uh, as well as the episode rankings, which should be a hoot, uh, in <laughs> our next episode, which will, I believe, air on New Year's Eve. Uh, so that'll be cool. Wow. So we open on the first Daria movie with a really neat little beach party intro featuring Splendora's Turn Down the Sun, which is an absolute banger. Uh, that's not <laughs> plot relevant, but it rules. Uh, the movie proper opens in Mr. DiMartino's classroom where he has the students helping clean everything up as summer break approaches. Summer plans are already being discussed. It looks like Kevin and Brittany are going to be lifeguards, which Mr. DiMartino is about to mock in some form or another when Brittany destroys a precious map and our resident psychopath history teacher finally snaps. Daria makes a joke about it, which Jane appears to pointedly ignore. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> uh, over in Mr. O'Neill's class, we hear nicotine and gravy by Beck while Mr. O'Neill hands out PSTAT results, the PSTAT apparently being the Daria Universe's version of the PSAT. Uh, Quinn scores highest out of anybody in the fashion club, but not 
much higher, and she's clearly a little disappointed in that. The bell rings and everybody starts heading out. Mr. O'Neill reminds the departing students that there are still opportunities available to volunteer as counselors at the OK to Cry Corral, his day camp for sensitive children. Surprise, surprise, nobody's interested. Hmm. Quinn waits until everybody else is gone before she approaches Mr. O'Neill to express her disappointment with her test results and ask what she can do to improve them and get into her desired college, and he suggests a tutor. A novel idea. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Perish the thought. So the the movie opens on butts. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. O'Neill's butt. So many Which, butts. <laughs> yeah. that, you know what? Yeah. Credit credit where it's due. He's shaking it pretty well. <laughs> that is true. I did not expect to see Mr. O'Neill. At first, I thought it was Jake. I don't know <laughs> like why my brain went there, but it was Mr. O'Neill. And I was a little horrified that he was shaking it so well. <laughs> <laughs> But also, like, my brain wasn't, like, computing what the opening scene was. Like, it was purely just, like, you know, putting it into that, like, summer movie genre, you know? Yeah. Um, And not plot relevant at all. (laughs) So I'm like, (laughs) where the hell are they? Why are they all together? (laughs) Like, there are palm trees. (laughs) Londale's so much bigger than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it was really disoriented for a little bit yeah. there. It does kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, I really appreciate it though. Like I said, that, that Splendor song, I could listen to that all damn day. There, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very satisfying chord progression that you've heard a million times. Um, but it's also like if you listen to the lyrics, it's all about how much the summer sucks and how much uh, being on a beach is terrible and stuff like it's, it's really entertaining and very Daria. Yes. Moving into the, the, uh, the episode, I'm going to do it too. We're going to call this the episode time and time again, just because we don't, (laughs) we don't know anything else. Um, We haven't really had a good DiMartino freak out in a little while now. uh, If you don't count his turn in legends of the mall, which I don't think should count. Um, I can't say I've really missed him. I've been kind of okay with less Mr. DiMartino. Yeah. We're going to get a lot of DiMartino in this movie. Oh my God. So much Mr. DiMartino. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, the classroom, uh, so we mentioned the PSAT, uh, which is the practice SAT, uh, the SAT itself. <laughs> I think it's it's like pre-SAT, right? P's. Yeah, something like that. So SAT, I mean, it used to stand for for a student aptitude test, um, and and or like does it not does it or, not stand for that anymore? So apparently, it doesn't stand for anything anymore. Now it's just the SAT. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I forget what the there's a technical term for that, and I forget what it is. But yeah, they uh, they decided they're no longer an acronym; they're just a word. I really hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when organizations do that, you know, <laughs> with their names. I mean, like, your names had meaning at some point, I hope, right? But now they're just <laughs> a weird acronym. That's not an acronym. Yeah. Um, so the SAT is it's a standardized test for high school students in the United States. Uh, it's a 
big, way too big part of the admissions process for most colleges and universities. Um, as depicted in the movie, it features verbal and math portions, although verbal is much more of like a critical reading and analytical writing thing. You're not actually right. like talking to anybody during this. Yeah, there's like an essay writing portion, isn't yes. there? Yeah. Yep. Um, and it should also be noted that the U.S. has in recent years placed way too much importance on these scores as a measurement for college readiness and admissions. And it is just one symptom of the education industrial complex here. And it absolutely sucks the joy out of learning. Yeah. Um, I was pretty stoked that I only had to take that test once. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but but it's the kind of it's one of those things that like, you know, if you're a high school student in America, you worry about the SATs to some extent. Um, and the level to which you worry about them is, is you know, if you're the kind of person who worries about your grades anyway, then then yeah, the SAT is not a fun time. So, you know, why not cause more stress to the to the lives of, <laughs> of these poor teenagers? Yeah. <laughs> not fair at all. No. Um, and also some people like standardized tests just don't work for some people. Like some people don't test well in general. And the fact that, you know, so much of college admissions hinges upon it is that really sucks. Yeah. Um, I don't test well. I, I, I have one of those brains that are like, well, you know, it could be A, but if you oh, think man. about it in this way, it could be C. And, you know, <laughs> I, just, I just, I think too much about it. <laughs> Nissa, you filled in every bubble. Yeah, Yes, I did. But did you check my footnotes? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the footnotes, they're a thing. So the OK to Cry Corral is a reference to the OK Corral, which is a corral that itself would never be known to history if it weren't for a legendary shootout that occurred there between a bunch of Wild West lawmen and outlaws in Ari the Arizona territories uh, back in the 1800s. Um, I think it was the 1800s. Oh boy, I should check that. But anyway, it was a shootout in the Wild West. Uh, apparently only 30 seconds long. <laughs> really? <laughs> which, yeah, which wow. is kind of crazy. But also makes some amount of sense. <laughs> like, yes, um, you know, we we have in our heads this vision of of Wild West shootouts being these super prolonged, crazy, you know, bouts where like the entire town is involved and people are hiding behind wagons and people are like falling off of balconies and shit. And really, it's not entirely unlike the shootouts of today, which you know, yeah. it's a bunch of people who get really angry all at once, a bunch of lead flies around, and then all of a sudden tragedy has struck yeah maybe maybe the weapons aren't as accurate but you know yeah. <laughs> it's just more lead gets thrown into the air <laughs> <laughs> and to to do some of the first discussion of of quinn for uh for the movie um right off the bat it is great to see Quinn like outwardly asserting that she knows she is smarter and more capable than the people around her. Mm -hmm. um, she's been conflicted about this at various times over the course of the series. And even now uh, we can see she's conflicted about it here in the movie, but it's nice for the show itself to sort of reinforce what we've been saying about her for a while now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose that this is a good time for her to 
explore that um, side of herself, you know, <laughs> the more capable yeah. side of herself because she's about to transition into, you know, a um, a time period where she can redefine herself, so to speak. Um, yeah. With that said, uh, Sandy, oh my goodness, uh, just so shitty for lying about her score to literally one up Quinn. Yes. <laughs> like, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> it's so on brand and it's, uh, i've i've remarked about it uh previously in in morgan dorks and and we talked about it i talked about it briefly with uh with dougie style during that chat we had a couple weeks ago um but there is something it's like it's like being a fan of a really good heel in wrestling you know where like some people are just so damn good at getting everyone to hate them that you can't help but appreciate the artistry of it. And that's kind of where I'm at with Sandy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Technically efficient. <laughs> <laughs> there is there it's it's she she is a samurai. Like she's just so good at Sandy the samurai. There you go. There's your fan art. Um out in the hallway, Daria approaches Jane to talk about the fact that Helen and Jake have been too busy to force Daria into getting a summer job, meaning she's found herself relatively free for the next few months. Jane, however, has plans to attend an artist colony at a commune. Two months of painting and sculpting in a college town in the middle of nowhere. Daria's perplexed as to why Jane hasn't mentioned this before, and Jane says she didn't want to jinx it. But Daria should cheer up, Jane reasons, because without her around, Daria is going to have much more time for her budding social life. Woof. Uh, Jane leaves Daria behind in the hall, and it's clear things are still not at all okay. Uh, Why Does It Always Rain On Me by Travis plays over our transition into the next scene. Wow, what a uh, soundtrack so far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so... I I had mentioned how the beach party intro places this movie squarely in the summer vacation genre, or at least playing off of it. Um, But it isn't until this scene when I see students cleaning out their lockers that I was just transported back in time. It triggered like strong sensory memories in me. I could smell the halls of Buna Regional. Yes, Buna, not Buena. <laughs> and, and and that, you know, time of year, it's, you know, when it's hot outside and kids are sweaty, hormones, it's it's really not the best smell. <laughs> you know, the, the mildew in the lockers. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing as a good smelling high school. No, this is really true. I, I, oh, I used to um, substitute teach, and um, I had the misfortune of substitute teaching on pep rally day when it was raining outside. So they oh. moved it all to an auditorium, and oh my god, that place smelled! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Holy hell, did we smell this bad <laughs> when we were yes. this age?" The answer is yes. We absolutely one hundred percent did. Oh wow. <laughs> So moving on to the conflict between Jane and Daria, I think that it's a really interesting choice that after the season finale's conflict between the two of them to 
create even more space between them rather than smashing yes. them together um where you know we would have that in the space of an episode but at this point in their character arcs they need space to figure themselves out and the full length film format enables that to happen and it's just it's perfect <laughs> yeah it's it's gutsy um but it also it feels very real you know like of course things would not be okay immediately and uh and we'll get into it a little bit later how like very clearly Daria wants things to be okay again immediately and the fact that it's not going to be is is um you know going to be driving uh at least some of the character work through through the rest of the movie um and on and into you know season 5 to some extent and I think that the fact that Daria wants things to be okay immediately just shows that she doesn't like fully comprehend the seriousness of the situation, like how it yes. affects everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, off on that point, um, there's a line here that Jane has where <laughs> uh, you know Daria talks about how. Uh, she's going to have a relatively light summer, so she's going to be kind of listless and not really, you know, have any uh, motivation to do anything. So she's going to be more like Jane. Uh, and Jane says, "Well, you've got so much else of mine, you might as well have my identity." Ooh, yeah. I so like I had totally forgotten about that line, and when she delivered it, I actively recoiled into my chair, like I sank <laughs> into myself. <laughs> you just yeah. like suck air through your teeth, you know, like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's she plays it off as a joke, like immediately because she sees Daria's reaction is like, "Whoa, hey!" Um, and she plays it off as a joke, but it's it reads as one of those like, "I just told you exactly how I feel, but I'm going to couch it as a joke because I don't want to get into a fight right now, right?" Uh, kind of things <laughs> because I've already done this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while Daria has perfected the sarcastic burn, Jane is going more for the sharp and painful here. She she sticks him with the pointy end. <laughs> yeah. It is it is vicious. Um yeah. and yeah, Jane is Jane's very clearly not okay, uh, and we're going to have to get into that. Uh, in the cafeteria, Quinn's talking to the rest of the fashion club about college plans. Uh, Quinn brings up the fact that she's positive she can do better on the P-stats, and so the seeds are planted with the rest of the group. Back in the Morgendorfer kitchen, Helen and Jake come to the sudden realization that it's June. Helen <laughs> asks Daria what her plans are for the summer. Daria reveals she's got nothing. Helen <laughs> insists Daria is going to do something with her summer, which is right when Quinn wanders in and Helen grills her about her summer plans. And Quinn does that kind of Quinn thing of like taking over both sides of the conversation and then talking herself into something. Uh, and this time it's a tutor. <laughs> um, back at school, the B-plot gang is signing yearbooks and talking about their summer plans. While Brittany and Kevin are lifeguarding, Jody will be taking on two internships, volunteering at the community service, uh, working at a part-time job, and in her spare time, taking golf lessons. Mac will be driving an ice cream truck. <laughs> He owes his dad some money, and apparently this is how he'll be paying it back. Uh, elsewhere in the hallway, we catch up with the fashion club who are talking about their summer plans. Quinn reveals she's getting a tutor and asks that none of the others let the news get out. All right. Where to start? Um, 
there's not necessarily a ton happening in the in this scene in the kitchen. Uh, there is a great set of lines where <laughs> uh, Quinn's talking about you know, how she, she'll catch up on the stuff that she missed or whatever, you know, next year. And Helen's like, well, what about all the new things you'll have to learn then? And Daria says, yes, the second half of the alphabet is even harder than the first. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good line. I like, I like that she, um, she uses her, the conversation with her mom, um, as an excuse to get a tutor. Right. Yes. Like my mom's yeah. making me because of this converse this one-sided conversation with myself I had in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It, and if you if you're a fan of the show, if if you're a fan of Dara, you know exactly what I'm talking about when you say like that thing where Quinn just kind of takes over both sides of the conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a very Quinn thing to do. It's a lot of fun to watch. And then this this scene in the hallway where they're talking about their summer plans. I think Kevin and Brittany lifeguarding makes perfect sense. Jody having so much, having so many different things to do, just it kills me a little bit. Yeah, inside. it's very on brand for Jody. But um, oh yes, yes, yeah, I feel so bad for her, and also poor Mac. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, earlier in the movie, Mr. O'Neill basically took a shot at people with low P stats uh, by saying that there's always food service. Um, he didn't put it like that. He he said something about like promising positions in the food industry or something. <laughs> but but come on, like food service is hard work. Uh, but yes, anyway, absolutely. It, like working in an ice cream truck is a special kind of hell <laughs> from for, from my perspective at least like <laughs> the hot box basically and yeah. and and the children oh my god the children <laughs> <laughs> and maybe so the parents are worse i don't know <laughs> but yeah no, no i feel i feel as though max shares your exact viewpoint on, uh-huh. on this subject yeah. And now and and now, you know, during a pandemic, I'm thinking, oh, touching all of that money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good lord. <laughs> Daria walks up to Jane at her locker and insists they should probably talk about the Tom thing. Uh Jane very much does not want to talk about the Tom thing. Uh Daria suggests that if the two of them won't see each other over the summer, they should probably hash shit out now, but Jane is very clear about what she needs, and we're going to go ahead and play the clip. You don't get it, do you? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I told you I'm not mad at you about Tom. Now let it freaking go, okay? Can I at least take you out for a good luck pizza before you leave for your big art adventure? Daria, I said let it go. So clearly there's a lot of unresolved stuff here. But what's particularly interesting is that Jane's drawing like a very clear line in the sand. She's already told Daria how she feels, where she's at, and what she wants. Her frustration with Daria's persistence is probably like equal parts, you know, she really wants to go to this commune and just get the hell away from everything here. Uh, And also she knows that Daria is like at least partially motivated by a need to make herself feel better for everything that happened in the previous two or three episodes. Yes, yes, definitely. Like going back to what I said about, you know, Daria doesn't really comprehend the seriousness of her actions, you know, how it affects other people. Like she's just, 
she's just pushing too hard and she's just not good at letting the dust settle. Um, right. It, it's uh, a, even, even as far as this beat by beat is concerned, I'm like, Oh wait, we're back at the lockers again. We're having this conversation <laughs> again. Come on, Daria. <laughs> by the same token though, like you, it is, it's tough to watch for so many reasons, but one of them being that like, you know exactly why Daria is doing this. You know, you can understand where she's coming from with this, even if like you can, you can talk about the ways in which it is not productive and the ways in which uh, she needs to, you know, figure out that what she's doing isn't helping and that she needs to back off a little bit, but you also understand exactly why she's pushing as hard as she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I imagine that it is not very easy to enjoy dating a guy when this stuff is unresolved. So, right. yeah. Um, on a different note, Jane has a book about Goya in her locker. So, heck yeah, cross episode <laughs> movie continuity. <laughs> yeah. Goya spotting. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our new podcast, Goya Spotting. <laughs> At the Morgendorfer house, Tom's about to come over and meet Helen and Jake for the first time. Helen wants to make sure they have a game plan and don't embarrass their daughter. Jake's on board with his, Jake's on board in his own Jake way. The doorbell rings and Helen answers, welcoming Tom inside. Between Helen's overeagerness and Jake's Jakeness, uh, he doesn't really get a word in before Daria comes by to sweep him away to safety. They head over to Pizza King with no more shopping sprees by Rough Ends playing as they bump into Kevin and Brittany outside. Kevin and Brittany are confused because it seems as though Daria is hanging out with Jane's boyfriend. Daria makes up a quick excuse and her and Tom bolt, with Daria insisting she can't handle having that same conversation over and over. Tom says, fine, let's head to my parents' club. And Daria's about to refuse when she notices the fashion club walking into Pizza King. Tom's parents' club it is. You know, when I was watching this scene, I I don't think it really dawned on me just how weird it would be for high schoolers, like a high schooler to be hanging out with their friend's boyfriend alone, especially a boyfriend that's like not from their school. <laughs> you know, it just like it didn't. It it didn't compute, <laughs> um, but then it was like, oh yeah, yeah. I guess that would would require some explaining, you know, because people are hella nosy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody can just kind of like keep their face in their pizza. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I will say, um, I kind of love Jake so far. <laughs> he's he's very dim as per usual, but. Something about it is just way more tolerable this time around. Like he's he's selling the cluelessness pretty mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um I think it's because the running joke throughout the movie is that Jake just can't recognize jokes. So <laughs> it's kind of like on the nose and meta at the same time, like really hitting at the core of his character. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, I i don't know i it's every now and then it just works i feel like um glenn eichler 
does pretty well with Jake for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, in non Jake news, <laughs> um, I will say it's, it's very early yet. So there's still plenty of time for things to go South. And in fact, um, my opinion of my opinion of Tom, as I wrote these episode notes changed over the time between writing them and tonight. So we'll have to see how this goes. But, <laughs> um, I will say, did I have something to do with that? <laughs> you totally did. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and look, I look, I, that's, that's fantastic. Like I appreciate that. Um, it, it, but it, it also complicates things. Um, so, <laughs> So your original thought was? Well, okay. My original thought, and I think to this point in the episode, it's kind of fair, um, is that I'm extremely happy that Tom is not being as big a piece of shit as he was over the previous two episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my thought is <laughs> <laughs> that like coming on the heels of the encounter with Jane – um, I have a really hard time looking kindly on him. So maybe to Tom, his relationship with Jane feels like old news, but Daria is living with the fallout like daily. So when he is like prodding her about like calling him her boyfriend, like that doesn't feel cute to me. Like that feels oblivious, you know, (laughs) and even like a little mean, you know, um, again, like people need their damn space. (laughs) Also, (laughs) also his line about like, let's bag the pizza and eat at my parents clubhouse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he he tries to separate himself from his parents' wealth. Like he does this constantly throughout the throughout the show. Um so I found that that this suggestion just came off as really icky to me. Like of course he's going to offer that like when it's convenient and he has someone to impress, right? <laughs> so to so to me the to me that is that stands out a little I think you're you're spot on in that he does try to separate himself from his parents' wealth. Um I do, however, think that in this case it's like I don't think he's doing that to impress Daria whatsoever, because I think he knows that Daria is not going to be impressed by it. And if anything, she's gonna recoil at it a little bit. Um <laughs> so much as just like, it is a matter of convenience. Like it is convenient to me that my parents are in this club, which means I have a place to go and eat if something else falls through. Right. Um, and so in, the, so in that case, I'm like, I'm kind of okay with it. But I don't know. I mean, like he, it, it has been drilled home, you know, over and over again, he's, he has tried to separate himself from his parents' wealth. So like, so for him to, for that to be the first suggestion, the first, uh, you know, suggested alternative out of his mouth just seems like there's some like disingenuousness going on. That's fair. Yeah. Because you could also just say like, "All right, well, let's go get subs." Or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah. there's got to be uh, subs somewhere, right? right. <laughs> if know, there's a pizza there's place, a ch- <laughs> we know 
We know for a fact that there's a Chinese restaurant because there's a portal behind it that takes you to the land of holidays. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Go get some Chinese food. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it didn't stick out as much as much to me and, and I think it's it's not necessarily as glaring, but there are there will be plenty of things to that I think both of us will be cracking down on Tom for uh, oh, in yes. the course of this thing. So mm-hmm. but we'll be we'll be coming back to you, Mr. Tom Sloan. <laughs> yes, we will. And finally for this scene, in case anyone was interested, the storefronts that Daria and Tom walk past in that little strip mall um, that includes the pizza place, uh, they are lackluster video and deuce (laughs) hardware. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Pretty good. Of course, playing off of Blockbuster and Ace Hardware. Ace Hardware, yeah. Uh, Yeah. For those unfamiliar yeah, they had the um the logo style and everything. It's very very yeah. very good. I think we've seen, I think uh I think lackluster video has shown up at, at some point before. And I'm trying has to remember it? where it would have been. I think I'm trying to remember when though. Oh man, I'm disappointed in myself for not noticing it before. <laughs> I could be wrong too. It's possible. It has happened a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Not that much. Come on. (laughs) Uh, At the club, an unplanned run-in with Tom's family has Daria feeling extraordinarily uncomfortable. They don't seem to mean it, but they're definitely condescending upper-class shitbirds to her. Uh, Tom apologizes to her about the encounter when he's dropping her off later in the evening, and things get awkward when they start talking about the fact that Tom hadn't told his parents about her yet. It's no big deal, Tom insists, because he doesn't ever tell his parents about who he's dating, which... <laughs> we we don't necessarily have time to unpack all of that. <laughs> to, but to but, but we'll pull some things out of that suitcase. <laughs> yeah. Um but more importantly to Tom, he likes her and wants to know if she likes him back. Daria's non-committal? Uh, just extremely awkward about all of this. Pick one, I guess. Either way, she practically flees the vehicle at the first chance she gets. Yeah. Um, awkward. Yeah. Before we dive into th- this whole thing with Tom, um, I just want to say I cannot, cannot, cannot overstate how happy I am to be at the stage of my life where the I like you conversation is like forever behind me. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> this is... This is one of those scenes that brings back like teenage feelings in a way that that make me cringe to my core because I remember these conversations and they're just awful. Oh yeah, and and like, dude, she is risking her friendship with her best friend to what hang out with you? <laughs> right, right. Ah, <sighs> oh, boy. All right. So the whole I don't tell my parents about anyone I'm dating thing. Uh, If I were Daria, (laughs) I'd be (laughs) like, oh, gee, thanks. That makes me feel so special. (laughs) And also, also, (laughs) there is such a disparity between his 
like familial and social identities that it's disturbing here. He only want, he only seems to accept his familial identity when it benefits him, like dinner at the clubhouse, as I mentioned, or a month's vacation on a private island. Just run, Daria. <laughs> run. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it, it's and again. This, this is one of those things that I didn't I didn't pick up on as readily uh, at all. So you know, going over your notes and then like thinking over the scenes again and checking them out again, it's like, oh my god, this it sticks out so hardcore. Um, and yeah. like it's it's weird because. All right. In the previous two episodes, we we were hating on Tom because he because he was acting in a shitty way. He he was acting in a way that was almost like borderline malicious. And I think now it's less now there's less like you know near maliciousness to this, and it's more just kind of getting to the root of like who he is mm-hmm. <laughs> as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not like actively trying to hurt anybody here, but he th- there are things he's exhibiting that are cause for concern. Yes, yeah, and and it, I don't know, maybe I just picked up on it because like you know I've seen those relationships, I've been in those relationships where there is like a you know, there is like dysfunction within the family or, you know, there is this like um, class difference that causes issues. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it, it it's definitely one of those things that need to be acknowledged. And sometimes the red flag needs to be raised. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking on the subject of Daria here, um, because we're not always talking about Daria. <laughs> Look, it's, uh, it's tough to host a show. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not great at it. I've only been doing it a couple years. Uh, <laughs> So there for for Daria that where we mentioned that she basically like flees from the car at the end of this scene. It's not entirely inaccurate. Um there's just it's understandable because there's so much at play here for her. Like mm-hmm. this is a brand new thing for her. Tom even being in her life has thrown everything into disarray. Um you know, dealing with her feelings for Tom, dealing with the ramifications on her relationship with Jane, dealing with the way other folks at Lawndale High see her, dealing with that class divide we were just mentioning, um, dealing with the difficulty of expressing herself emotionally, which has always been there. Um, it's pretty understandable that she basically just like shuts down here. Yep, she ticks everything on the list. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for breaking that down. Um, it is just way too much for a teenager to deal with way too much for any person to deal with no matter what the age but a teenager especially woof like man i'm I'm 17 like (laughs) this sucks at the morgendorfer residence the next day someone else not me by duran duran fuck yes plays as daria greets quinn's tutor david Sorensen at the front door he's apparently been recommended by helen's co-worker eric at the kitchen table, David and Quinn start talking, and he realizes this gig might be a little bit more involved than he'd expected. Over at the Ashfield Community for the Arts, Water Babies by William Orbit plays as Jane arrives. 
She's introduced to some of the folks with whom she'll be sharing the space, and she's immediately a little turned off by their apparent pretentiousness. Meanwhile, at the pool where Kevin and Brittany are lifeguarding, things are not going well. They're a little too wrapped <laughs> up in one another to notice piddling things like drowning children. <laughs> Don't worry. The child was saved. <laughs> <laughs> he was. There was an actual lifeguard on duty. <laughs> uh, so we have... Um, and we'll, we'll be talking about stunt casting for a, a little bit throughout this movie, but uh, David is played by Carson Daly, who is the first of the three celebrities who lend their voices to this movie. Um, this is a new thing for Daria. It's it's stunt casting. We don't actually get to see it at all uh, for the rest of the series. Like This is the first time it happened and the last time it happened. Uh, it happened three times in this movie. <laughs> um as we said, first one is Carson Daly. Uh, at the time that the movie aired, Carson Daly was a daily <laughs> uh, uh. fixture yeah, on MTV programming as the host of Total Request Live, which was a wildly popular music video countdown show. We've probably mentioned it more than a few times already. Um, he showed up on a bunch of other MTV properties around then as well. Uh, and He's done all manner of stuff since then, including being a late night host, but he's probably most well-known right now for being host of the game show, The Voice. Oh, TRL. Yes. <laughs> Not to be confused with TLDR. <laughs> um, no. no um, Two wildly Car- different sentiments. <laughs> Carson Daly is a person I have not thought about in a very long time. <laughs> Yes, that is that is the reaction to have to Carson Daly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just I it's just so interesting that there was this period of time where MTV cultivated the um you know, the show host for for stuff like TRL or um I don't even know what like there's the MTV. They were they were called VJs. Yeah, right? and, VJs. And there were like there was the whole like they had contests, the want to be a VJ stuff, and and it was a big deal. It was like a, it was almost a status symbol. Like no, oh, totally, it was a yeah, big deal to be an MTV VJ. Yeah, wow. And he was like <laughs> king of the VJs. Yes, and now they're they're hosts on The Voice. <laughs> yes. Which I mean, like, hey. You know, that gets high viewership, so. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, probably the most popular thing he's done. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Just in terms of like sheer audience size. But, uh, you know, I have nothing objectionable to say about Carson Daly. I think think he's fine. He was a a good host for TRL. Uh, He probably continues to be a good host for The Voice. I don't know, maybe. David Sorensen is pretty cool, too. Yes, yes. (laughs) We we will be talking plenty about David. but he he makes a, a damn good impression in mm-hmm. <laughs> in this show. In um, so many ways. <laughs> totally. Uh, also, we will be talking about the Asheville Community for the Arts plenty as well. I just want to mention that I would like to forever hang out at the at the Asheville Community for the Arts. Yes. Maybe minus the people. <laughs> Maybe we should fulfill my lifelong dream of starting an artist's retreat slash colony and yes let's do it let's do it all right (laughs) yes i have no no money and plenty of dreams and that sounds like how all artist communes start yes (laughs) all right 
moving on. <laughs> uh, last thing from this scene, we get to see Kevin without a shirt. <laughs> I don't think we've gotten to see that before, except possibly in uh, Sealed with a... Uh, oh, no, wait. No. No. He, okay, it was in Sealed with a Kick, right? Because um, he in- was... Was he shirtless in that? I, I think, think he had he his was. football equipment on most of for for pretty much all of um, that. Maybe. Well, he there was take, one. He did take a shirt off for the um, uh, the model, next year's model. Um, and and you know there was when on, there was correctly. when he got injured and he was wearing a t shirt and not his football equipment. Um, yes. But I really wish that. He had his football equipment on, no shirt, and used them as like flotation devices. I think that would have been awesome. (laughs) I don't know if that equipment floats, but, you know, maybe maybe he should try. Almost certainly does not. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's just like styrofoam inside, right? That's what protects our, our, you know... Our high school football players, right? Styrofoam. <laughs> might, well, yeah, might as well be <laughs> to some extent. Yeah, I know a lot about football. <laughs> uh, at the Morgendorfer residence, Helen reveals to Daria that Mr. O'Neill called around asking for volunteers at his summer camp, and Helen suggested Daria for the gig. She starts the following week. Daria's pissed, but Helen comes right back at her. We're going to go ahead and play that clip. Daria, you need to be more tolerant. You know what they say. Judge and be judged. And I judge myself unfit for human contact. That's exactly what you will be if you don't start engaging with the rest of us. You keep hiding your real face behind that antisocial mask, and one day the mask will be your face. I'm not letting that happen. You're working at that camp. What about my feelings? What about my rights? What about my bribe? At the kitchen table, things are... Yeah. (laughs) Uh, At the kitchen table, things are still not going particularly well for David and Quinn. She's on the phone with Sandy, and David's losing patience. She reads the room and hangs up, only to answer the phone again moments later. David says, all right, fuck this, packs up to leave, and Quinn tries desperately to stop him. In return, he absolutely lays into her, saying that while she is bright and that's great, it doesn't mean anything because she has no intellectual curiosity and nothing interesting to say. He calls her boring and blames her for not actually applying herself. He suggests she doesn't go to college because she'll be taking the spot of somebody who actually wants to learn. Damn. Yeah. it's <laughs> He just goes. <laughs> it is tough. Um, Quinn responds by finally breaking down and, and saying in all seriousness, like, yeah, she knows she's smarter than her friends and her scores should be better. And she legitimately wants to do better. David eventually sits back down and they resume the tutoring session. Let's talk about David. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what do we think of him here? Like, I, I feel like he was harsh, but necessarily so. And I don't, think he was wrong <laughs> no no i don't think he was wrong um i i think that he read the room accurately <laughs> uh yes. how however i think that this move you know like as an educator <laughs> is hella risky <laughs> this is the second time i've said hella in this episode by the way 
it, it's some kind of record. <laughs> um, this is quarantine. I've, I, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I just I just think that like this move could completely destroy a person's self-esteem and any desire that they have left to learn. And I'm very glad it wasn't the case here, but wow, it really could have been. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe he like genuinely thought it was true. And so like, you know, either outcome, it would have been a win-win kind of situation. <laughs> but, geez. Yeah, it's it's tough to watch. Um, I do appreciate that it kind of shakes Quinn out of, you know, where, where she was at. Like, um, Right. His response, he, would, he was complaining that she kept taking phone calls. And Quinn's response, which is maybe one of my favorite Quinn lines from from in recent memory, <laughs> she just goes, "But they call David. They call. But they call David. They call. I love it. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. It is a great line. Um, <laughs> I also appreciate that there is a line drawn here in their conversation between intellectual curiosity and wanting to do better just to do better um this is you know tying back to the standardized to the standardized testing and what that does it makes learning a competition it's all about the numbers rather than it being a pursuit that is worthwhile all on its own Hmm. yeah absolutely so things are tying together yeah yeah (laughs) um one last bit from this scene. I appreciate, you know, there's some more good mom work from Helen here. Um, I wish she'd have involved Daria more in the job finding process, but (laughs) uh, this is probably the only way it was going to work, going to work. Um, And it's something that should like theoretically be actively good for Daria as she lays out, like she makes a solid case here. I feel like when summer camp is involved the the people the people that work or attend the summer camp never have a choice <laughs> you know <laughs> i hated summer camp see it's involuntary employment yes involuntary employment i love the line one day the mask will be your face wow helen yeah. She knows me. <laughs> <laughs> it's deep. Yeah, it's it's good work. We don't get a ton of Helen over the course of the the first half of the movie, but you know, she when she's in there, she's swinging for the fences. Oh yeah. Um good momming. Yeah. On the bus to the okay to cry corral, it's revealed that Daria's co-counselor for the summer will be none other than Mr. DiMartino. Oh boy. These poor, yeah, these poor children. Uh, at the camp itself, Mr. O'Neill introduces the kids to the counselors. It goes extraordinarily poorly, as you might expect, and the kids aren't engaged whatsoever. Mr. O'Neill divides everybody into three go- groups, one per counselor, which is how Daria meets a depressed boy named Link. We'll get back to him momentarily. For now, though, it's off to Ashfield, where Macy Gray's Why Didn't You Call Me is playing, and we're introduced to Daniel Dotson, the artist in residence of sorts. 
He's every bit as pretentious as the students he's surrounded by, and making fun of the whole spectacle together is how Jane meets Allison, a similarly-minded fellow artist who will do nicely as a Daria replacement for the time being. All right. A lot just happened. Yes. So, um, Mr. DiMartino, as camp counselor at the OK Corral, is absolutely terrifying. Um, but also maybe a bit too on the nose or obvious. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. Yeah, it, it's a mixed bag. Um, there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> uh, I do not necessarily, I mean, even with Glenn Eichler and Peggy Nichol, two writers that I do have some confidence in, um, I don't necessarily know if it's, it's going to be worth it. <laughs> or if it's going to reach its potential. Um, right. We'll, we'll kind of have to see, uh, you know, and, and we'll definitely get some, some bits and pieces of it throughout the rest of, of, you know, this part of the recap. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so our two, our two other stunt cast roles, uh, Daniel Dotson is the second bit of stunt casting. He's voiced by Dave Grohl, the former drummer for Nirvana. Uh, Grohl would later go on to be frontman for the wildly successful Foo Fighters. So that's where you've seen him. Uh, and with Allison, we see the third and final bit of stunt casting. She's played by Biff Naked, a Canadian singer-songwriter known primarily for alternative punk pop rock. Um, she was on the charts with some frequency back in the late 90s and early 2000s. She has, she's also showed up in a whole bunch of different shows and, and uh, different properties. She was in an episode of Buffy. Uh, I have to mention that legally by law. <laughs> um, which episode so she was in oh god damn it it was the episode where there was like an earthquake and everything and there was a blackout uh so it was uh, oh right right four. right right yeah there was an earthquake there was a blackout uh so one of the dorms held a blackout party uh and um willow was super depressed <laughs> um and she went to the party to like mope around socially, uh, and Biff Naked was playing at that party. Gotcha. Which, hey, good get for that fraternity or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and speaking of Daniel Dotson, I deeply appreciate how well the writers have nailed like this skeevy, lecherous, pretentious professor professor stereotype in oh, Daniel. Yeah. He, he sucks, and we know it immediately. Oh yeah, he sucks. So hard. <laughs> and I've totally met people like him. It's yes. it's just, it's so awful. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more about that. <laughs> uh, over in the ice cream truck, Mac is not having a good time. Oh, uh, no. Jody calls, yeah, Jody calls and the two realize they're going to be too busy to hang out for a while. At Tom's palatial estate, Tom and Daria are watching television when Tom's family wanders in. Tom's mother wants to know if Daria is going to be able to go to this starry night ball. Daria is puzzled, and Tom notes he neglected to tell her about it because these events are stuffy, god-awful affairs, and he assumes she'd want no part of it. They then ask if Daria is going to join them for fireworks on the 4th, and Tom says he already promised he'd go to a party with Daria's friends on that date. Daria's being spoken for a lot here and it is deeply uncomfortable yes yes it is on one level i get where tom is coming from like he doesn't want to make daria have to decline an invitation he knows that she has no interest in um so he's not going to bother extending it in the first place like i understand that 
thought process. Um, but it's happening a whole lot of times in rapid succession. And it comes off immediately as he's taking agency away from her. And mm-hmm. that sucks. Like, yeah. there is a happy medium there. <laughs> Somewhere. And he needs to find it. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's in the couch cushions. Um, Also, (laughs) if you don't want your girlfriend and your parents to mingle, especially when you're first dating, how about you don't watch TV at your house while they're around? Maybe. (laughs) A good point. (laughs) Like, I just, I don't understand him. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm wondering, does Tom's mom expect Daria to pay for a ticket to this charity event? Because later on, she seems to expect Daria's mom to do so. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I think she's assuming that Tom, like, it's it's what it's a thousand dollars per couple, right? Is is the rate that I thought it was two thousand? Uh, two thousand per couple, or something like it's it's. An outrageous amount of money per, yeah. per couple. Uh, so I think what Tom's mom is assuming is that uh, if Daria goes with Tom, then Tom's going to front that or Tom's mm-hmm. parents will front that because you know he's their kid. But yeah, it's just – it's weird. It's yeah. so – it's awkward and it's more – it's introducing more class divide where there needn't be any class divide. <laughs> yeah. It's it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um. And on a separate note, I wanted to say that Jody is stuffing envelopes for the eighth annual carnival for dyslexia. I <laughs> don't know what that involves, but I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take a carnival. I would, yeah, I would like to be at anytime. A carnival. carnival is like a theme park that you don't have to commit to. It's pretty nice. Yeah, you can just walk around and. Eat some ice cream and gawk at people. Yeah. You walk around, you eat stuff that's on a stick that shouldn't be on a stick, but they put it on a stick and then they deep fried it so it's fine. Yeah. Anyway. Back at the – yeah, seriously. Uh, Back at the okay to cry corral, the kids are making lanyards to the tune of Bismarcky's Just a Friend. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, Mr. O'Neill's approach to running a summer camp is decidedly boring. I won't even let the kids go in the lake. Who the hell runs a summer camp next to a lake and doesn't let the kids go in the lake? Monsters. That's who. The frustration of weaving a lanyard proves too much for Mr. DiMartino, who abandons his post. Uh, Daria, meanwhile, has done fine as an instructor, but is still having trouble getting through to Link, who is profoundly disengaged. Daria is clearly a bit concerned for the kid. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit before the subtext here becomes text, but Daria clearly sees herself in Link, and I really like that she's being presented with this situation, um, especially in light of Helen's reasoning behind her getting this job in the first place. Right. If there's hope for Link, there's hope for Daria. Right. So that works. Yeah. Um, yeah. I said before that I hated summer camp. I, I you know, went to like day camp, not overnight. Um, I would beg my parents to just let me stay home and read. (laughs) Uh, But this summer camp in particular seems especially cruel. Like, did Mr. O'Neill not insure the summer camp because he is way too concerned about liability? (laughs) He just won't let them outside at all. It's on brand for him, right? Like, it's... 
it does seem exactly like something he would do, but it is just peculiar. Like, why do you, what is the point of this? Why do, why do you have a summer camp? Why not just have everybody show up at Lawndale High or something? Like, yeah, just become a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the way you're going, dude, just do it. <laughs> so we've, We've talked about this. Become a therapist cannot be your answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> but therapists have all the answers, right? <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I can't. I, I'm not allowed to answer that question. <laughs> You're supposed to say, the answers are in you, Nessa. <laughs> the answers are within, Yes. <laughs> Uh, at the Landon family's 4th of July party, we hear No More by Rough Ends as Quinn is talking to the rest of the fashion club about not letting the news slip about her having a tutor. Sandy promises not to tell everyone, but it's Sandy, so of course she immediately tells the three J's, but they think it's cool. Of and course so they the do. the rest of the fashion club, hell yeah, they're all about it immediately once they find out that Quinn's all about it. Uh, so the rest of the fashion club gets jealous and young David is about to find himself with way more work. Mac and Jody are talking with some fellow partygoers about their summer activities, and we again get a glimpse into how demeaning Mac finds his ice cream truck gig. Meanwhile, Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus, yes, is playing. The soundtrack is so good. Um, is playing as Kevin and Brittany spot Daria and Tom. Kevin grills Tom, which Tom plays along with very nicely until finally revealing that he's Daria's date. Brittany, noting that Daria stole her best friend's boyfriend, realizes Daria for the lady and tiger she is because game recognized game. Uh, elsewhere at the party, Daria and Tom run into Jody, and Daria is forced to once again go through this incredibly awkward conversation right up until Mr. Landon swings by and talks to Tom about his well-off parents. So it's a lovely time at the old barbecue. I like what you did there, lady and tiger. Nice, nice eh. reference to the last episode. I also <laughs> like how... Um, Brittany conveys her understanding of the situation with like the quickest of facial expressions. Um, it's just <laughs> it, like a lifted eyebrow or, you know, it's just like eyes widen a little bit and she's like, Daria. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. It's a great little Brittany moment. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> She's quick. <laughs> she has her moments. Yeah, yeah she does. Uh, um, you got to feel lousy for Daria here. Uh, this is going exactly how she feared that it was going to go. Everybody knows what it's like to have like the same unpleasant conversation over and over again. And for oh, someone yeah. like Daria... It's it's nails on a chalkboard for hours on end and with some extra classism thrown in there for good measure. Yeah. And how do you feel about the setting here? Like, I don't know if I just got distracted while I was watching or or what, um, but but it just felt off to me. Like a very large part of me felt like Daria wouldn't go to a shindig like this. Like, is is this part of her budding social life? Is she <laughs> only in attendance because she likes Jody? Is it really just the only way, other than the pizza place, that they can get Daria and Tom to encounter other people? 
I don't know. I think that I think that last one might be a big part of it. Yeah, that feels a little <laughs> um, forced then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it it feels a little forced. I also like I remember going to a couple of parties like this, you know, toward the end of, you know, at like the beginning of summer. Um you know, especially right. like junior and senior year parties that I otherwise had like no place at whatsoever and would not go to uh, if it weren't for, you know, well, there's going to be friends there. I might as well like pop in. You know. Yeah. There's something very familiar about that ginormous deck. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and like standing right next to it <laughs> on the <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> yeah. You're like eye level with the lattice work. Yeah. Know, like- <laughs> <laughs> uh, over at Ashfield, Allison and Jane are grabbing lunch. Uh, Jane doesn't want to mingle with the other students, but Allison insists and bets Jane dinner that she'll have more fun than she thinks. Jane says she's on, and so we join the other artists. They're going on and on about Daniel's brilliance, and when Jane has the unmitigated audacity to suggest that maybe Daniel isn't a genius, uh, they all lash out at her. <laughs> Allison immediately jumps to her defense and things cool off, but the other students all vacate at the same time, leaving Allison and Jane alone. Jane points out this means that Allison owes her dinner. Uh, back at camp, Mr. O'Neill has all the kids painting. Uh, they point out that it's beautiful outside and they want to go for a nice hike, but Mr. O'Neill is trying to protect them and insists they stay inside. It is not well received. Uh, one of the kids paints a football player since he looks up to football players. And of course, that's basically a trigger for Mr. DiMartino, who loses his shit at the poor boy. Uh, <laughs> the boy runs off, likely thankful that it is in fact okay to cry at the okay to cry corral, while the rest of the campers start cheering because Mr. DiMartino just absolutely buried the biggest bully in the group. Uh, meanwhile, to the tune of Dear God by XTC, Daria supervising Link, was painting a sad drawing of a dead tree and depressed man in the rain. So these art students suck yeah, so much. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, much like Daniel themselves, though, like the disciples are written pretty well for the stereotypes that they are. Like, I really appreciate how on the nose this is. Yeah. Um, also, you know, while I, I, this just occurred to me. So of course this isn't going to be eloquent, but while Daria uh, is dealing with like the whole class situation, uh, Jane, while it's not super explicit is dealing with like the age difference between her and the other people at the colony. Um, So, so they clearly don't respect her because she is younger. And, um, and, and so perhaps are a little harsher. I mean, like, would they have, would they have just gotten up and walked away if she weren't, you know, <laughs> a high school student? I don't know. Right. It's shitty. And like the, one of the things that the, the art students say is, is it's really, we keep saying the art students is really only like one of them talks in, in this scene, but they, <laughs> they all kind of act as she does. So, um, but she says something like, you know, how much can you really know about art? You're just in high school. Uh, and when Allison leaps to Jane's defense, it's to say like, look, we all had to submit a portfolio to get here, um, which is a really damn good point. Yeah. <laughs> and like Jane is, we have at times, you know, talked about how Jane appears to be kind of kind of listless and not really have a ton of, of direction necessarily, but if you can say anything about Jane's work ethic, it's she's a very accomplished artist. Like, yes. 
she has dedicated herself to it and she is damn good at it. Um, and the fact that she's here, you know, among a bunch of college kids, uh, who uh, apparently holding her own because she you know, submitted a portfolio just as they did to get here. Uh, that's fantastic. And yeah. it sucks so much that because she is just a few years younger, she's getting dumped on by them. Mm-hmm. They suck. They do. They do. They suck. They suck the moon clear out of the sky. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> and then it sucks even more because it's a pretty moon tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot, you sucks. <laughs> I, I, I've expressed a certain lack of patience for a lot of the male characters on this show from time to time. Hey, you uh, have. And it's Mr. DiMartino's turn. He, he's, he's so much better in small doses. And this movie is not at all providing him in small doses. Mm-hmm. It's not awful. Like, I don't, I don't hate it. It's just hard to watch. Like, that being said, I do appreciate, I appreciate that his awfulness had a, had a purpose here. Uh, it, it was not, it, it was inadvertent. <laughs> he, right. He was just being his normal self and it happened to work out. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate that because normally we don't even really get that, right? We get the, he's screaming and flipping out and everyone's around him like, wow, this is kind of awkward. And then that's the end of the scene. Um, and this time it's like he's screaming and, and carrying on and then he makes a little kid and he makes a kid cry and then all the other kids are like, oh, hell yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because that kid was a bully. And, and, and so, you know, it's a bit more, there's a bit more substance to it than usual, but it's still not necessarily enough for me to look at it favorably. Yeah. Um, I see what you mean about him you know, just being too much. <laughs> I, and, <laughs> and there is, um, uh, there is um sorry my brain stopped working because it's almost 10 o'clock uh, <laughs> oh, we've, we've all been there oh yeah uh, so so i think that to compensate for the fact that you know there's more airtime for him we get that motivation of um of him working at the camp to revive his love for teaching um yeah. which, which you know stirs sympathy in me but um the arc itself is not very satisfying for me. Um, and like he exists for the jokes. Um, so this motivation feels a little forced, right? Like, yeah, let the jokes be the jokes, I guess, you know, <laughs> if, if, if he were there because, because Ms. Lee, like, was forcing him to be, I would probably accept that mo- more readily than him doing this of his own will you know right right so there's a a moment right after i think right after he makes the little kid cry i keep saying the little kid it was it was like a teenager i think um right after he makes the kid cry uh mr o'neill comes by like what the hell just happened here and mr Martino who is suddenly much more calm says like yeah there's a chance that i i you know spoke harshly to <laughs> to one of the campers um, <laughs> there's a there is a level of like responsibility there uh like an admission of you know culpability that i don't think we really get from mr Martino a whole lot because we mm-hmm. only get the screaming we, we don't really get the aftermath where he's like 
all right, yeah, I probably shouldn't have. I probably shouldn't have ripped that phone book in half. Well, like, yeah, but also the fact that he's with a younger crowd makes it more obvious to him yes. that maybe his behavior is not acceptable. <laughs> right, right, and it, it throws it into relief for us as well. Right, would Mister DiMartino be better off as a teacher and as a human being? If he were teaching, say, like fourth grade. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes you ask a question that breaks the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think you did break the podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to think like could it be like seventh grade? But no, because like seventh graders are assholes. But like yeah, fourth we, we've grade, we've had this discussion before. There's like a there's like a curve kind uh-huh. of. Uh huh. Yeah, there's a cutoff, and four, <laughs> fourth grade might be it. <laughs> get, get back, get back at me, Peggy Nickel and Glenn Eichler. I I have thoughts. Spinoffs. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we get a few short vignettes about David's attempts to tutor the rest of the fashion club. Uh, Sandy's too focused on shopping. Tiffany's too focused on herself. And Stacy is just a total wreck. He ends up dropping all three. Uh, we cut to a phone call between Jody and Mac, which, because both are more than a little stressed out, goes very poorly. They end up snapping at one another, and it's pretty tough to watch. At the Morgendorfer residence, the phone rings. It's Tom. He asks if Daria's doing anything tonight, and she says she's not feeling well. Still. He says, cool, I'll bring you some soup. And she says she's beat and probably just going to crash. He notes that he's leaving for a family vacation in a week, and they won't see each other for a month. Daria's response is to say that a month is not that long. Tom reads the room a little bit, and they get off the phone not too long after that. Daria sinks into her pillow, clearly bummed about how she's handling this. All right. Yeah, um... So I'll say about there. There are a couple things to say about this. These vignettes with uh, David and the rest of the fashion club. The first being that his meeting with uh, Tiffany is fantastic, if only because of Tiffany's line. Uh, this toaster is really shiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is the inside of Tiffany's skull. <laughs> um. On a on a bit more of a serious note, I feel terrible for Stacy. Like uh-huh. <laughs> her friends routinely treat her like shit. And when David expresses like just a just a modicum of disappointment, Stacy immediately notes that he's making the same face her mother makes when she quote says something stupid. Like there's there's so much going on there. Like, yeah, anxiety, no no wonder. <laughs> yeah, like that anxiety and that lack of self-confidence don't just like come out of nowhere. Like those yeah. have been hammered into her from every angle. Uh-huh. And and we've always seen it. It's always been there. It's just that we're getting uh the right amount of Stacy here to sympathize, as perhaps yes. opposed to Mr. D. Martino. Um, yeah, it's it it hurts. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and perhaps on an even more serious note. Um, so to talk about Daria's reaction to the phone call that she has with Tom here, um, there's a, so there's this, there's a game called night in the woods, 
which is a bit more of an interactive novel, kind of. Um, I heartily recommend it to just about anybody, especially fans of Daria. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, I bring it up because the main character of the game, May, is this directionless, depressed young woman who's kind of lost control of her life, and she returns home after being forced to leave college. So she comes back to this college town or she she comes back to her hometown which is a very like rust belt kind of town it's it's you know there are no more jobs there anymore it's kind of run down there's no um it's it's rough um so uh throughout the game there are a bunch of conversations where you have options to pick from with regard to how may responds uh, and most of the time when a game gives you that sort of thing, they're giving you a variety of responses so you can approach the scene in different ways. So you can be like friendly or combative or avoidant. Um, and in a few spots, the options that you're presented with in Night in the Woods all suck. Uh, they're all self-destructive or combative. Um, and as a player, like going through it, you're, you're like, ah, oh, this kind of sucks. Until you realize that the reason you're being given those particular choices grouped that way is because that's what depression and self-destruction can feel like is knowing that you're about to say or do the wrong thing, but doing it anyway, because your mind doesn't really give you any other option. Yeah. Your brain's Um, not wired that way. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, And I I bring that up because Daria is clearly not handling the summer or this Tom situation very well. And she knows it, but it's like, it's something she can't get out of the way of. It's as though she can't figure out any other way to be. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, This game sounds awesome, by the way. It's fantastic. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, Summer has historically been a difficult time for me. Uh, Summer sad is totally a thing. Absolutely. Um, and, And for me, it's like after the school year, my routine is thrown off and like my sense of purpose is gone. And, you know, I don't have the right clothes to wear for the summer and, you know, body issues and bleh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all, it, it all wraps into one ball of, of sad. Um, but <laughs> Daria is, is being, uh, she, she's used to being, intellectually engaged somewhat um and the social engagements of the summer are different for her and they're daunting and you know it's just it, it's just difficult <laughs> yeah yeah um it makes sense yeah and, and you know, it's it's <laughs> It's funny how many times we realize in the recording of this thing that you and I are basically the same person. <laughs> it, we are totally the same person. We're like talking in an echo chamber. Back at camp, Mr. O'Neill's talking to Link because he's concerned about Link's behavior and attitude. Uh, Link turns around and lays into Mr. O'Neill for not actually listening to his campers. Uh, Link just wants a place to run around and play and be a kid so he doesn't have to think about problems at home. He storms out and Mr. O'Neill's left alone to hold back his tears and write in his notebook. Daria is supervising some other campers when she notices Link storming out and decides to follow him. She tries to talk to him, but he's having none of it, so she suggests they instead go for a walk. He joins her and they head out the door. I love this scene. (laughs) Yes. Yes, every, all aspects of this are fantastic. I love how Link just tears into Mr. O'Neill. 
I it's just it's the way that he just destroys him and then the way that Mr. O'Neill responds um and and like when he's left alone he's like oh it's not your fault link is just feeling his feelings right <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly the kind of avoidance behavior that makes Mr. O'Neill perpetually Mr. O'Neill. Um, but also <laughs> it's the kind of avoidance behavior that Daria is also is playing out with Tom, right? Yeah. Um, so so it works. And uh and yeah, it's just like, oh, it's so quintessentially Mr. O'Neill. <laughs> very, very much so, yeah. It's not it's not your fault except that it is because you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a great little moment with Darian Link too. Like it, it's it's not super crazy heartfelt or anything and you know it it kind of comes and goes but like seeing Daria one take off running after Link out of concern for him and two figure out a solution that helps them both is really nice. Mhm. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, at a restaurant near Ashfield, we hear, why didn't you call me again while Jane and Allison share some wine, which we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, they talk about their respective art careers and prospects, and it's becoming very clear <laughs> that Allison's interested in Jane as more than just a snarky fellow artist. Uh, over at the Morgendorfer residence, the phone rings and Helen answers. It's Tom's mother who invites Helen and the family to the Starry Night Ball. Tables are only $1,000 per couple. Helen nimbly finds a way out of that situation immediately, but after hanging up the phone, worries that Tom's family will think they're cheap. Daria points out it doesn't matter what Tom's family thinks. She's sick of hearing everybody suck up to the Sloans. She storms upstairs. Back at Ashfield, Outcast, the art of storytelling plays as Jane's looking at some of Allison's work. They're getting along very well, but Jane notes she should probably turn in for the evening. Allison suggests Jane stick around, noting she's sure they can probably find something to amuse themselves. Jane, not quite gathering what's happening, is still ready to head out the door. Allison continues hitting on her, and it isn't long before Jane figures it out. Jane backs away and tells Allison she's straight. Allison doesn't buy it, given the evening that they've had, and Jane points out she didn't know Allison was bi. Allison says that's great and all, but she never hits on straight women. Jane says she appreciates the hospitality, but she's not interested in women. Allison suggests maybe she's just not ready to admit it. Jane pushes past her out the door and back to her own cabin. She shuts the door behind her, and the look on her face tells us she's got a lot of thinking to do. And that's where we're going to wrap the beat by beat for now. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, there is so so we're we're gonna wrap the beat by beat, but we we got a lot to talk about there. So. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, yeah. Do you want to start at the top then? <laughs> yeah, I'll just let's get the. I want to get the Helen stuff out of the way here, or, or the, the the stuff that happens at at the the Morgendorfer residence real quick. Um, it's called out in the show itself by Helen, who asks if she sounded like she was groveling when talking to Mrs. Sloan. But Daria being so quick to anger about Tom's family and their station, it makes it feel a little bit like something she's focusing on as a reason to blow up everything up in lieu of actually trying to make something new and scary, or the relationship uh, actually work. Um, 
that said, I do think like given the discussion that we've had about, about the the classism elements here, um, I, I think it, it is. I feel like it could be read either way, but I think the way that uh, I think on its face is probably the way it should be read. Yeah, I mean. It it should be read that way, I suppose. At least the, this is this is Tom's argument, right? That Daria is uh, is avoiding something that's scary and new, um, right? And and yeah, sure, that's part of who Daria is and what she's doing. <laughs> yes. But but yeah, she's also not wrong about people fawning over the Sloans. Uh, She's not just dealing with issues of class divide. She's encountering like a moral paradox here, right? Like she is dating and and benefiting from someone who has money, but money that isn't doing much good in the world, which she cares about. So, like, right? You know, it's 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 a little icky. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. and I think I'm I am so curious to see how our discussion for the rest of this movie goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, going into going into season five, I'm I'm curious to know how this is going to continue to play out. Um because I have many times uh over the course of this season said like I'm I'm decidedly more pro Tom than a lot of Daria fans that I know. Uh and it is rapidly coming around to bite me on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it should it should be said that um, while while there is a class disparity here, it's not like Daria doesn't come from a decent amount of money. <laughs> like yes. she is secure. They've got a big house. You know, like she lives in the suburbs and she has acquaintances in gated communities. Like <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> you know, she's privileged. <laughs> We've said this yeah. before. Um but like it's interesting to watch someone of privilege um who is aware of that privilege suddenly mingle with someone who has more of it, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's complicated. It's very, yes. it's very yes, complicated. It is very complicated. Um and there's another complicated bit. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> okay. So and I mm, all right. I'll, I do want to point something out about my own notes here, but I'll point it out when we actually get to it. Um First, I, I think it is worth noting uh, right at the top of this that Biff Naked is and has long been a member of and advocate for the LGBTQ community. Um, she's been open about her bisexuality since the mid '90s, at least. Um, and you know, it, it, it's kind of easy to forget that that was not necessarily an easy thing to be mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 25 years ago. Uh, it's still yes. not necessarily an easy thing to be now. Like yes. it, it, it's. I have to wonder how much of you wonder how much influence that this particular storyline or that this particular beat, how much influence Biff Naked had on that, or how much influence that particular beat had on deciding to uh, get Biff Naked to play the role. 
I would like to think that they said like, all right, well, let's, you know, if we're going to have this representation in the show, then let's actually get a member of the community. But yeah, I really don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe we should have read more about it. <laughs> yeah. I tried. I did I did try looking into it. I couldn't find anything on like the reasoning behind getting specific folks involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's it, Well, you know, at that point in time, like any representation is okay representation, you know. <laughs> there's there's like really not much. <laughs> yeah at all like especially bisexuality like like, yes yeah there there's definitely like bi erasure that happens and and like i myself am bisexual and like i had no kind of model for that as a young person it was just (laughs) it was impossible to navigate like (laughs) yeah you know uh you know Mistakes were made. (laughs) (laughs) Awkwardness, you know. (laughs) I think I think what what happens is that when you have no models for bisexuality or for or or for even um you know, homosexuality for like non-hetero relationships, like what you default to is like heteronormativity. Um, And, and that's just, it doesn't work. (laughs) No, no. No. You end up with a whole lot of, a whole lot of people who can't see themselves in any of the people that they're seeing on the, yeah. On the screen. Yeah. And you're you're carrying you're carrying oh sorry. And you're carrying baggage that you don't necessarily need to be. Um right. you know, a whole culture of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but um Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> but there's so much to say. Um yes. So it's it's worth noting that as a show, uh, Daria has always had a strong following among the LGBTQ community. Um, we won't go into the reams of fan fiction that directly discuss Daria or Jane's sexualities, but suffice to say, discourse around the show has always had space for the question of whether the two are actually straight. Um, this is the first time the show actually tackles that question whatsoever, uh, and it's very clearly rattling Jane quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's a matter of like situationally, this is something that they want to do to explore that in her character. Like, of course the timing works out this way. Like, of course she just got out of a relationship with a guy that like fizzled and crashed and burned. Um, and so there's, there's a lot going on here. Eichler himself noted in a 2005 interview that Jane could be quote straight, but curious, <laughs> I wonder yeah, how I, much of this is really talking to the fandom um and like trying to set things straight. <laughs> See what I did there? Um you, you know, it, you know sometimes that's fun. Like Doctor Who does some you know fun like nudges towards the fandom, you know, sure. fan service. Um, but like this one feels 
weird. <laughs> and maybe this is 2020 Nissa looking at it, but um but it does. It feels a little weird and and you saying that in an interview he said that um yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, especially knowing that it comes it you know, like that was a 2005 interview. So this is so that's, you know, at least 3 or 4 years after Daria as a show is off the air. It's not like he has to worry about like, oh god, the net, the network ex- the network executives heard what I said and now they're going to cancel the show or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, he's he's past the point of the show being a thing. So now he gets to you know, he gets to say what he feels about these characters, and that's what he feels about the character of Jane. Um, yeah, and that's a little bit of a you know, it's a little disappointing, right? And like, if, if she were curious, that's not reflected here. <laughs> yes, it's I mean, definitively not. Yeah, and 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 yeah, there is there is some moment. Uh, some some moments where you wonder like is Jane considering her identity here and like questioning whether you know like whether she actually is attracted to women um I mean like clearly she she is she's thinking like why does this person see this in me um right. so yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah, the expression on her face when she closes the, like she gets back to her own cabin and closes the door and then we see the look on her face and then that's you know that's where we we that was the cutoff point. I'm pretty sure that was a that was a commercial break originally. Mm-hmm. Um like that look on her face is not just like Jesus that was weird. It's oh um <laughs> I I have some thinking to do. Yes. <laughs> oh it, yeah. Yeah. We started off on on this particular subject. I mentioned that there was something I wanted to to highlight about my notes, and um, it's that you are not at all alone in in the thing that you're about to talk about. Yeah, I I was thinking through this, like how amazing it would be if Daria were actually asexual, um, you know, in terms of representing an underrepresented group of people, but also like as a feminist statement in writing her character. Um, right. You know, of course, it doesn't seem to be the case when like a good portion of, you know, the this season, um, this past season and like, you know, there have been previous episodes that have dealt with her love life. Um you know, it doesn't seem to be the case, but I don't know. Like, okay, so I'm not alone here. <laughs> um, I'm glad to hear that <laughs> because I really do think that it would be like really interesting, um, especially if it were directly addressed. Like, I am like I am a person that does not feel sexual attraction to other people. And, you know, this is how, you know, this is how it plays out. (laughs) And this is how it empowers me or this is how I go through my life. You know what I mean? Like give people some models. (laughs) It's so much more interesting than just being shitty at relationships. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like asexual people don't have to be shitty at relationships. They can still have relationships. (laughs) Right. 
Absolutely, yeah, and I, and I didn't, I didn't mean to imply otherwise. That's why. Yes. That's why. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I just um, wanted to like, you know, draw a line under that. <laughs> right, right. I feel like it's it's the okay. Well, you can you can have the the one millionth television character that's just not great at keeping a relationship together, and and that's you know that's a, a struggle that they have to overcome or whatever. Or you could have you know especially back then, like one of maybe the only character uh, that just, you know, draws a line for themselves and says like, no, this is, this is how I feel about this. And yeah, that's not necessarily the norm, but you know, I, I determine what's the norm for me and yeah. this is what works for me and get, get over it. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I did, it, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so now moving on to the next point, um, which is, am I the only one that cringes at the way Allison comes on to Jane? No, not at all. Okay, good. <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah, it has all the trappings of a heterotoxic male interaction, like. Come on, baby. And like even her voice changes a little bit, you know. Um yeah. and gets like that deep like kitten purr thing going on. Um she she's like, I can't let you leave in your state, like after I've poured you generous glasses of wine all night. And also, Jane is a high school student. She's definitely <laughs> under the drinking age, and we don't know where she is regarding the age of consent, so it's really fucking creepy. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, what I'm saying here is, is that while it's exciting to have Jane confronted with this question of sexual identity and to have bisexual representation on a TV show, because as we established before, that is rare. It's unfortunate that this representation has to be so sleazy. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. And it just like feeds into that stereotype of bisexual people being opportunistic. And I just hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> Have to yeah. put it out there. No, it, it's it's so it's weird and it's aggressive and it's problematic and it needs to be called out. Like, yeah, the fact that like, look, I in other in another context, it doesn't bother me at all that you know it wouldn't bother me at all that a college student and a you know pretty mature for her age seventeen year old were sharing wine, like specifically not in a like you know, date setting or anything like that, but just like, you know, two friends hanging out, like that doesn't bother me. Yeah. I'm no teetotaler. Um, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but also then you have to be like, well, they're doing that in a restaurant, which means that Allison, you presume has to be at least 21, right? Uh -huh. Because the drinking age in America is insane. <laughs> and so, and Jane is at, at the absolute oldest 18, right? Mm -hmm. But she's almost certainly 17. Like that age gap there, the fact that they, they, you know, she keeps pouring her glasses of wine and then, you know, she, it's not, it's not great. Yeah. I'm trying to find a, a delicate way to put it. Like, I like, I like that there's representation here. I like that there is, um, I like the conversation that can, that can result from this. Um, but I don't feel that the ends justify the means. If that makes any sense, mm -hmm. like 
I love that. I love that this topic, you know, forty thousand foot view, this broad topic about like, hey, you know, let's let's talk about Jane and let's talk about you know bisexuality and and you know maybe that's something to to discuss with Jane. Like, I like that. <laughs> um, I don't like how we get there in in this particular instance. Yeah, agreed. It's. It's just a little icky. <laughs> um, yeah, I. It's I. I mean, I, I've said my piece. I. I feel like, I feel like, as far as the um, stunt casting is concerned, I can understand why. Um, Biff, what's her name? Biff. Biff naked. Biff naked. Okay. In my brain, I was like, it can't be Biff Naked. Is it Biff Naked? <laughs> <laughs> like, I can I can see, I can totally understand why Biff Naked would be like, oh, I get to read for the character of a bisexual girl. Like, hell yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, I get this opportunity. Right. Um you know, it's just, it's not on her. The writing is not on her, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 So we will have to see how this all plays out, uh, in the next, in the next beat by beat on the next episode of Morgan Dorks. Um, which I think, (laughs) so I think earlier I said that it, that was, that episode was going to be going up on New Year's Eve. This episode is going up on New Year's Eve, which is all of three days from now. (laughs) I love to, I love thinking that people are going to be listening to our podcast as their New Year's Eve celebration. (laughs) You know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Uh, spend your spend your new year's eve with us we don't know how to party (laughs) we don't know how to party you're right we really 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 don't know how to party we are going to wrap it up but first uh we do want to talk about some fan stuff so our previous episode talked about our various hair dyeing and hair bleaching adventures and misadventures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and friend of the podcast, Steely Dan Rather, uh, wrote in with some hair dyeing information. It's Steely Dan Rather again. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to the Die, Die, My Darling episode. Um, if Nissa really wants to go purple, it's really weird talking about myself in third person like this, but okay. Uh, <laughs> if Nissa really wants to go purple, I recommend Overtone. It's a coloring conditioner that you can use at home. I've been doing a color streak in my hair for the last few years with Overtone, and it's been a lot of fun. I can also share a referral for discounts. Hey, hey. Um, (laughs) For what it's worth, I have to bleach my hair to add color. Uh, My natural color is very dark brown. I won't bleach on my own, and I only go to a pro hairdresser. I follow the bleach immediately with my color. I mentioned above I use overtone, but before that, I had my hairdresser do the color too. I wouldn't trust a box dye so after bleaching, so soon after bleaching. Uh, And I definitely wouldn't bleach my own. This is right about, uh, this is right that bleach can make your hair turn weird colors. Heck yeah, I'm right. 
<laughs> I learned the hard way that bleaching purple dyed hair can turn it green. Holy um, crap. I know, <laughs> which is amazing, um, but also probably terrifying. Um, if you do want to change color from purple, clarify it as much as possible. I hope my experience with hair color makes sense and adds something to the podcast. Happy holidays. Well, I have learned something, <laughs> a few things. I will add overtone to my car. I've been eyeing it, actually. Um, a few friends of mine use it, and, and I'm like, hmm. Um, so, yeah, but clarifying, got to look that up. <laughs> God, it's so much easier to just be bald. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We've had this conversation before. I'm as I'm as close to bald as uh, as I'm gonna get probably for now. <laughs> I just don't have the guts. I think I like my uh, hair. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I look never, never in my life gonna shame the the hair decisions that someone makes because oh, totally because it's their hair, right. <laughs> and also when I, when I when I had plenty of hair to work with I did some batshit things with it. So, uh, <laughs> so it's cool. Thank um, you Steely I'm, Dan rather for giving us all of this information. Totally. This is so it's cool. It's so I helpful. Was... <laughs> and yes, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Uh, I think that will do it for now. For now. Uh, yeah. For now. Dot, um, dot, dot. Dot, 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 dot. Uh, so that about wraps it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, check out our Patreon. You can sign up at patreon.com slash morgandorks for a buck a month. You can support this silly little mission and listen to an unedited version of each podcast a few days before it airs. As always, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at morgandorks, email us at morgandorks at gmail.com, or check out our website, anchor.fm slash morgandorks. We're also on Facebook. Just search for morgandorks. We'll show up. Uh, special thanks as always to Outpost Daria uh, Outpost Daria Reborn Link is in the show notes um, <laughs> Link is not in the show notes He's outside on a hike with Daria uh, <laughs> as, as, as always Thank you Nissa. Thank you Rob And thank you listeners uh, We'll see you again in two weeks For the second half of our coverage Of Is It Fall Yet Here on Morgan Dorks Yay 